traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Hey there, I am your mad prophet of the airwaves, Monkeypox Frontier Lives. Welcome to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Monday, June 27th in the year of our Lord 2022. Another beautiful day in paradise. Kanakistan, the land that time forgot. Uh, but despite the fact this once fair dominion is ruled by a confederacy of dunces, it's still glorious outside. And I hope you all had a relaxing weekend and spent some time with friends and family. Do you remember last week when I told you about the fishing trip from hell about 30 years ago, where I managed to hook myself after catching a smallmouth bass and uh, like a treble hook right through the finger. That was up in a Digby Township. That incident caused me to stop fishing for decades. Well, this weekend, I took my twin boys down to Erio, a little beautiful village on Lake Erie down near Chatham, Ontario. We hired this guy, Captain Chuck, from Nature Boy Charters. 
buoy, not boy, buoy as in, you know, a, a marker in the water, a buoy, nature buoy charters. And between my boys and me, my brother, my brother-in-law and another friend, we caught 17 fish. We're talking walleye, rainbow trout, even a coho salmon. And I, I have to tell you, it was an amazing day out on the water. So thanks to Captain Chuck of Nature Buoy Charters, he took us right exactly to where the fish were. All we had to do was reel them in. We had an amazing time. The weather cooperated. Captain Chuck even cleaned and filleted the fish when we got back to the pier. And we took a cooler full of fish home, like a big ice chest. So we're going to have a, a big fish fry this week, maybe even some walleye tacos. Most importantly, though, most importantly, some great memories were made. So uh, this is going to become a yearly tradition. you got to get down to beautiful Erio, just outside Blenheim, Ontario, which is just outside Chatham, off the 401. And uh, go find Captain Chuck with Nature Boy Char Charters. Uh, great news. The U.S. Supreme Court, as expected, overturned Roe versus Wade on Friday, clearing the way for states to now enact their own statewide restrictions on abortion. And I know this is an American story, but here in Canada, it's still the Wild West when it comes to abortion. There is no constitutional right to abortion in Canada, despite what you may think. There is simply an absence of any law, virtually no restriction. But even though this, this happened in America, Canada is very much influenced by what happens in America. So hopefully this overturning of Roe versus Wade will lead to more open and frank discussions about abortion here. It'll give more conservatives, I hope, more conservatives than just, say, Kathy Wagenthal and Leslin Lewis, the courage to speak up and speak out. And we can start with a ban on sex selection abortion, something the vast majority of Canadians agree on and would like to see. And then we can go from there. So Roe versus Wade is dead. And more and more states enacting restrictions or outright bans on abortion. And this will save hundreds of thousands of babies' lives. It's historic. It's monumental. And it's a, a staggering defeat for the radical progressive left from which Thankfully, they will likely never recover since their, uh, their entire existence really is predicated on abortion and the destruction of the nuclear family. I'm not sure who this uh, articulate woman is who posted this on social media, but she explains what led to the overturning of Roe versus Wade in a very succinct and exacting manner. Have a listen. You know who the left should blame for the overturning of Roe versus Wade? Not the Supreme Court. Not Christians, not conservatives, not Republicans, not pro-lifers. The only ones they should be blaming are themselves. It is 100% their fault Roe got overturned. A lot of people, myself included at one point in time, could sympathize with the scared teenager, with the drug addict who had no business bringing a baby into this world. We could understand that we didn't like it, we didn't agree with it, but we could at least understand it. We went from safe, legal, and rare to up to the moment of birth. We gave you an inch and you took a mile. We drew the line when you decided that you should be able to murder a fully formed infant up to the moment it exits your body. You have no one to blame but yourselves. That's exactly right. Abortion was supposed to be exceedingly rare. 
But for the radical, unhinged, progressive left, that wasn't enough. So for them, abortion became some kind of a sacrament, a symbol of their liberation from the patriarch or some such nonsense. So abortion wasn't just about the frightened teenager or the hopeless drug addict or the victim of rape or incest. Killing the unborn became something to embrace and even celebrate. Finally, even many liberals have said this has gone way, way, way too far. Of course, it's gone way, way, way too far in Canada, but the media party and the ruling establishment will not allow for this conversation here. Yet, yet, it will come, slowly, but it will come. So on Friday, I thanked God for the decision handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court, and I know many of you out there listening did as well. And of course, there will be rioting and looting and firebombing this summer by groups like Jane's Revenge, and there will be more calls for sex strikes by the radical, unhinged, progressive left. And if you've seen pictures of the unhinged left calling for sex strikes, sex strikes, in other words, no unfettered access to unrestricted abortion, then no sex, fellas, no sex. If you've seen the pictures and the videos on social media, you know what I mean when I say these women proclaiming a sex strike have no sense of irony, none. Here's a former Green Beret by the name of Nick Freitas or Freitas speaking to this issue of sex strikes. So I've heard some people suggest that women should institute a sex strike in response to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And all I can say is that if your response to Dobbs is to not have sex with some douchebag that's completely unworthy of you because he's unwilling to make a commitment to you or the child you both create, we consider that a win. He's exactly right. Women should go on a sex strike and refuse to be with any man who does not honor her does not take responsibility, is not worthy of being the father of her children. It's fascinating that uh, women on TikTok, for example, were complaining, certain women, complaining that the overturning of Roe versus Wade was going to destroy what they call the hookup culture. That's where young men and women meet on social media and hook up expressly for the purpose of having sex. Good, good riddance to hookup culture. This is the beginning of the return to traditional conservative values, the sanctity of human life and marriage and, yes, even abstinence. And it all began on Friday. All right, another busy show for you today. Coming up in the second hour, Canadians can blame our economic woes on Joe Biden. According to veteran journalist and True North columnist Mark Bonakowski, he will be here. Retired RCMP officer Andy Brook returns to delve further into the politicization of the RCMP and what is morale like under Commissioner Brenda Lucky and how do we reform the RCMP? Ontario reporting the highest rate of post-vaccination myocarditis among males 18 to 24. Kelly Brown, the accidental and unofficial COVID data analyst, will be here in hour two to break that down for us. This hour, the survivalist, Stefan Verstappen, We'll be here to talk about do-it-yourself crime prevention. We're not talking about vigilanteism or taking the law into your own hands. We're talking about in the event of the collapse of social, uh, of, of civil order, a major blackout, maybe it lasts a week or two. How do you protect yourself from, I don't know, marauding looters and criminals? We'll, uh, we'll, te- we'll uh, speak with uh, Kevin Verstappen. Uh, Let's see what else. Oh, big Pride weekend in Toronto. But what is prideful about men parading around naked in front of children? That happened at the Pride Parade. 
And that's just not right. Toronto Mayor John Tory also took his 12-year-old granddaughter to the event. She has since come out as trans. Sue Ann Levy from True North will be here this hour to discuss. But first, Germany is hoping to import liquid natural gas from Canada to speed up transition away from Russia's fuel. Now, if only we had pipelines. Dan McTagg, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy is next with that story. The Richard Serrett Show is off and running for Monday, June the 27th. Facta non verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. We're going to get uh, Dan McTeague in here in a moment from Canadians for Affordable Energy. But before we do that, you know, uh, inflation is at a 40-year high. Think about that. 40-year high. Economic stagflation on the horizon. So growing and preserving your hard-earned capital is, well, it's never been more important. That where, that's where RockLink Investment Partners come in. They understand the investment challenges of today. RockLink is an independent investment management firm focused solely on creating portfolios of high-quality businesses, and they're anchored to the time-tested principles of value investing. They don't shy away from essential businesses that don't meet the World Economic Forum's definition of ESG. That's so important. So I strongly urge you to email RockLink at info at rocklink.com. Tell them your buddy Richard sent you. Rocklink or info at rocklink.com and uh, visit them at www.rocklink.com. That's rocklink, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. So Germany is in a bit of a pickle. They are very, very much dependent on Russian natural gas. Russia has turned off the spigot. And as it turns out, not surprisingly, the sun and the wind is not going to get it done for Germany. They bought a pig and a poke from Greta Thunberg and the, uh, the greenies. They were sold a bill of goods. So, of course, now Germany is uh, having to go back to using coal. A delicious irony. But then, of course, there's Canada. And we have... Oodles and oodles and oodles of liquid natural gas. We are, we are in fact, among the world's largest producers. There's only one problem. One slight problem. We don't have the infrastructure to get it to market. Again, thanks to the Greta Thunbergs of this world. We can't get it to Germany, even though we have it for them. So what are we to do? Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, is here. Hey, Dan, how are you? Hey, not bad, Richard. Good to be here. So this is, this is so frustrating. Here we have Germany in need of natural gas. They're in a crisis right now. They're having to go back to coal. We have the natural gas for them, but we have no way of getting it to them. We could uh, buy 200 years of natural gas to the entire world, one country, Canada. But being short-sighted and uh, willing to go down this road of ensuring that we would never, ever have an opportunity uh, to uh, build pipelines, uh, bending over backwards, 
for every climate activist out there and uh, the stupidity of the federal government putting in regulations to ensure no one would ever want to invest the money at a time in which the world is prepared to pay a king's ransom to get Canadian gas, at a time in which Europeans have asked, pleaded with the Canadian government, pleaded with our officials to find a way to get natural gas there. The best we can do is maximize our existing pipelines, natural gas pipelines, maybe get an extra 10% down. Uh, I'm thinking maybe you know, the number is kind of a little here and there, but it's about probably about 3 billion cubic meters over a year. We can probably get that done in six to eight months. That's the best we can do. From a country that had 12 LNG projects systematically one by one, every one of them cancelled, uh, done in, uh, investors scared off by a federal government and its climate activists. We only have one, and that probably won't be ready for two years. Uh, that's the one, of course, subject to terrorist activities by individuals, the Coastal Gas Link. Right. And so now, because German coal companies are not going to just, you know, turn it, turn their coal production on for like five months and then turn it off. You're looking for a long term, a long term commitment. So Germany now basically is having to recommit to coal for the next, what, decade, perhaps? Yeah. Look, the forward numbers on natural gas is that they are going to be high at least till 2025 with or without Russia. So that's got to tell you the commitment is going to have to be much longer. And uh, because we went at this too aggressively, regardless of where we stand on the issue of climate, regardless of whether we believe in net zero or not, no one has bothered to ask the simple question, which Canadians need to ask, but which they refuse to get from their officials, from their leaders. How much is this going to cost us? Because at the end of the day, whether it's Germany, whether what's happened in Europe, it should be a sign of what Canada should not do. No one seems to want to stop our NDP, liberal, green, block politicians from going down this road of indulging the country on this reckless uh, journey called net zero, just transition, build back better. It doesn't work. Europeans have spent a trillion dollars in the past 15, 20 years relying on going towards renewables, and it is an absolute, utter, abject failure. I don't know Canada has not only the ability to uh, resist going down and making that mistake again. It also has the ability to correct the problem, not just for itself, but for the rest of the world. But as long as Canadians continue to reward and support people who will not tell and will not fully disclose the measures that this government and its future successors, let's say Trudeau leaves, Mark Carney is no different, nor is Christia Freeland. Uh, They will do the exact same thing and at the same time not tell us how much corporations, including oil companies, are making by building renewables, which, of course, you and I wind up paying for dearly, both in terms of direct costs, regulatory costs, and also, as we're now starting to see, unfortunately, uh, much higher rates for just about everything, including the carbon taxes they apply to existing fossil fuels. Dan, I'm just reading here in the National Post that there is this import uh, facility on the East Coast that's owned Repsol. by Spain. Uh, Repsol. Yeah, Repsol. And, yeah, yeah. And apparently that could be retrofitted to be from, a, from an import facility to an export. Of course, it would have to be connected to a pipeline. How long yes. would it take to build a pipeline to the Repsol, um, a Repsol facility on the East Coast? Well, you wouldn't build a pipeline. You would uh, use the American uh, pipes. Uh, send it down to the United States, have a Canadian ship pick it up from there or under Jones Act, probably a U.S. flagship, to then bring it back to Repsol, which would simply be an export facility as opposed to a, what it currently is, an import facility, which Irving sold because there's really no money in that. Uh, it would take two years. Two Hope years. that answers the question. Yeah, two years. Just to do that, that wouldn't mean any more Canadian gas 
through a Canadian pipeline. It would actually be through existing pipelines from Canada. The big bottleneck we have, by the way, Richard, and I've never told anybody this because they never asked the question of me. If you go to the northwest British Columbia, northeast Alberta, there are tons of small infrastructure bottlenecks. We can't get our natural gas into the main lines, get it down to the United States. That's due to regulations by the federal government. And I'm not picking on the federal government, it's just that they, up till now, They've really been you know, caught flat-footed by their own rhetoric and nonsense. Now, I think they're starting to realize, as is the rest of the world, uh, we can't go down this net zero fantasy. Uh, we need to look before we leap. No one can afford it. You're going to destroy economies. You will cause a global recession, and you will not just impoverish uh, many vulnerable parts of the world. You're going to cause starvation in a good number of places, something that I've not heard in our vocabulary or lexicon uh, in the past 30 years. We're going back to the old days because we've decided to think that we can do all this stuff without natural gas, oil, and coal. That is fantasy dreaming, It's and it's unfortunately a very dangerous policy. It's going to hurt a lot of people. Indeed. It's a death cult. Uh, Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, affordableenergy.ca. Dan, thank you as always. My pleasure, Richard. Looking forward to more. Take care now. Bye-bye. All right. Sue Ann Levy, investigative journalist, is next to talk about Pride Weekend in Toronto. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. All right. Big uh, Pride Parade in Toronto this weekend, part of Pride Month. And, um, you know, I think we can get behind gay rights. That's important. But for, um, for grown men to be parading around fully naked, shaking their junk at children, that's not pride. There's nothing prideful about that. That's not gay rights. That's sexualizing small children. That's against the law. Uh, also, Mayor John Tory, Toronto's most ridiculous, or North America's most ridiculous mayor, took his granddaughter, 12-year-old granddaughter, to the uh, Pride Parade. Here with more, our good friend Sue Ann Levy, investigative journalist, True North contributor, and author of Underdog, Confessions of a Right-Wing Gay Jewish Muckraker. Sue Ann, welcome back. How are you? I'm good, Richard. I was just watching the uh, video from another news source with uh, the mayor and his granddaughter, which she declared she's a they-them, uh, all of 12 years old, and uh, the mayor shedding a tear. And I thought it was absolutely disgusting and inappropriate. Hmm. Um, did, had, this was the first time that she had come out publicly and, and stated that and yes. parade? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it, it almost sounds like it was kind of a, what, he, did he take her there expressly for that purpose, for her to declare in front of the cameras? Well, you never know with John Tory, but it is an election year and he is running for his third term. And you just never know. But I I really felt that, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's a shameless another shameless photo op. And I don't think we should be using children that way and especially politicians. And also because someone 12 years old, do they really know this is what I've been writing about from for the last year? Do kids at 12 really know whether they're trans? Uh, perhaps they'll grow out of it. Perhaps, you know, you just never know. And for Declare in front of God knows how many people are watching this, I thought was just a shameless photo op. Yes, yes, I agree. Uh, so, yeah, as you say, um, children at that age, the vast majority, and I, it's somewhere between 80 and 90 percent of, of children do, they grow out of it. Yes. Um, 
the others, many, if, if you're a, a girl who, who has feelings of uh, gender dysphoria at that age, you may grow up to be a lesbian. Or exactly. if you're a, yeah. And so this is the problem in, in large measure that I have is not only because children are being um, sexualized and, and, and being led ultimately into things like double mastectomies and hysterectomies and, and, and boys being castrated is that it's also they're trying to erase lesbians and gays. Uh, yes. And uh, I, I I went down on Saturday to Church Street. I didn't go to the parade yesterday. I've spent a lot of years covering it for the Toronto Sun. And uh, I went down out of curiosity. And the thing that struck me that was, you know, most unfortunate, I think, and I don't consider me myself, you know, not keeping with the times. I do keep with the times. But the the existence of the progress, prog- progress pride flag, the not the rainbow flag, but this progress pride flag, Flag that's supposed to be all inclusive and to include people who are uh, visible minorities who are queer uh, to include the trans colors. And I think like we've totally lost sight of what people like, not only me, I lived in the closet for 20 years, so I had a different struggle, but what people of my generation did to fight to get gay rights, the bathhouse raids, all those. Sort of, I have a friend who had to go through conversion therapy um, when he was younger and, and just all the pain and suffering they went through. Uh, the people who are coming out these days have so many supports. They have lots of places to turn to. They don't have any idea what it was like 40, 50 years ago. Right. And what do you think about the idea that now that the, the radical trans activists, I'm not talking mm-hmm. about people that are, have gender dysphoria necessarily, but the radical trans activists are actually working at cross purposes with, with the gay and lesbian agenda? Yes. And I'm actually in the midst of writing a column for True North about that sort of thing, because a lot of people uh, younger than me, uh, my age, older, feel that uh, they don't belong anymore to the movement because the radical trans activists and some of them are gay activists who are trying to find another cause, um, they feel left out now. They feel like they've been shunted aside. All their struggles are a mere blip on you know, the horizon in a time machine that's gone away. And, uh, you know, it's, there's still lesbian and gay rights to be fought for around the world. There are still countries where you can't admit that you're gay. You'll be thrown off a rooftop. But they chose to focus on this radical trans activism. When I say that, I'm talking about what we just talked about, pushing kids and ramming it down their throats when they're 12 and younger um, in schools. All right. So uh, I'll let you get back to writing that fabulous article. And we look forward to reading that. (laughs) Thank you very much, Richard. Sue Ann Levy. And uh, she, of course, is with True North and the author of Underdog, Confessions of a Right-Wing Gay Jewish Muckraker. muckraker. All right, when we come back, The Survivalist will be here to talk about crime prevention. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. The Survivalist of The Richard Serrett Show Welcome back 
you going to turn to when the lights go out? Long term. Well, if the lights go out, you won't be able to listen to this unless you buy a hand crank radio. There's a thought. Uh, Stephen Verstappen is an emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival, ChinaStrategies.com, the website, ChinaStrategies.com. Stephen, welcome back. How are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty good, Richard. How are you? Great. Had a great weekend fishing, bringing home an ice cooler full of uh, fish fillets for my family to eat. I felt good about that, you know, harvesting my own food from uh, from Lake Erie. Lake Erie? Yes. Pick fresh, fresh walleye or pickerel, as we call it. Rainbow trout. Did you move recently? No, no, no. We drove we drove down to uh, down to Chatham to a little. uh, Well, just um, you go down to Chatham and then into Blenheim and then Erio. And it's right on Lake Erie. Beautiful little fishing uh, town, marina and. Beautiful, uh, beautiful catch. Nice. Yes. Good for you. Yeah, no, I had a good weekend, too. I was at a picnic yesterday with our community, our mutual support community. Right. And um, we are now starting to set up satellite communities in in neighboring small towns. So this picnic was for two different communities from two different small towns. You know, out here in the rural countryside, you've got a small town like every 15 miles, right? Right, right. And um, each one of these small towns is setting up their own mutual support communities. Nice. Um, Nice. Yeah, very nice. And um, I met a lot of good people at the picnic and there was live music and uh, I'm, and I had a chance to talk a little bit further with one of the guys. And, and, and again, he's in the next neighboring community, but we are cooperating. OK, and that's what we got to do. We got to cooperate with each other. So you need to set up your own community in your area. But then you can also cooperate with other communities nearby, 10 miles away, 15 miles away, 20 miles away. Anyways, he's going to be on our security team because... Uh-huh. Uh, you know, with the crime happening and with uh, the breakdown of society, police are never there to prevent crime. They've done numerous studies of this for over the last 50 years. Do police actually stop crime? No, they don't. Crime happens and you call the police and they come after the guy's already gone most of the times. So one of the things you need to think about when you form a community is how are you going to protect each other how are you going to protect yourself and your family and he showed me some pictures of a safe room he built in this house ah a safe so that's room. what I, that's what i think we should talk about today now right, right there was a movie about that there was a movie called safe room i'm trying yeah. to think of the um uh the actress uh it doesn't matter anyway that was the whole idea right they they lived in a I don't know if it was a crime-ridden area in the movie, and so they they basically built it's like a vault, right? That you can get in, and no one else can get in. Yeah, they lived in a, a very rich neighborhood, and that's one of the reasons they built a safe room. Because listen, criminals target the rich neighborhoods. You think that you live in Rosedale, or you know, you live out somewhere in in, in the country, and you got a nice big house that you're safe out there because you don't see the street crime every day. But listen, criminals know that the people who have money live there and if they want to make a big score they come out there and in that movie they had like a really professional safe room too um listen if you can afford it sure fine have a fortified safe room you know steel lined walls so people can't shoot through it security cameras uh, internal um 
power, you know, a generator that will run the security cameras and the security lights. And you've got communications and weapons in there and and a, an electronically sealed door to get in and out. Listen, if you've got twenty five thousand, thirty thousand dollars to spend and you've got a house big enough to hold something like that, then sure, go for it, because. So this is the idea is that, and we'll we'll take a break and we'll come back and, and get into the details of a safe room. But the idea is that if someone breaks through into your house, yes, in the middle of the night, let's say, and um, you you and your family you gather up you and your family and you all retreat into the safe room and you lock the door behind you and uh, you know they're going to take whatever they want inside, but they're going to leave you alone. And of course, you're going to probably store you know the majority of your most valuable valuables inside the safe room uh, and they can take whatever else they want and, and, and go or whatever, but you and your family will be safe and secure inside exactly. the safe room. All right, we'll do that. On the other side, Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban, Urban Survival. More of our conversation right after these. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Thanks to my sister, Nancy, listening in Kitchener. It's Jodie Foster was uh, in Safe Room, the movie. We're talking with Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival, Chinastrategies.com. So what goes into making a good safe room, an affordable safe room, Stefan? Well, that's what we're talking about. It's something affordable because most of us don't have that kind of money to build something you know, like you've seen in that movie. But you can convert a room in your apartment or your house to be the safe room. Now, probably the best room to convert is your master bedroom. That's where you sleep. So that, you know, you're woken up and at three o'clock in the morning, somebody's kicking in your door, you're already in your safe room. So what comprises the safe room? First of all, you need to make sure you have a pretty solid door. Let's say, you know, it could be an ensuite bathroom or uh, a bedroom, but probably your best bet, you know, for, for those of us that aren't millionaires, is to make your bedroom the safe room. But you do have to spend some money. And some of the money you have to spend is the uh, is to get a good door. Those um, 400 series doors, the ones that are pressed out of uh, out of uh, masonite. I mean, they're just crap. I mean, I could punch through that door myself. You need like a fire door. Something like a fire door, something solid. It's got to be solid wood or if you can afford it, you know, whatever you can afford. Um, But uh, a fire door or a good solid wood door, but not the the stuff that they put in in, in apartments these days. It's it's just it's just paper mache. Right. Something with like a triple like a triple deadlock. And then you've got to also strengthen the frame. Here's the other problem is that the frames, um, you know, even though you have a, a lock on the door, I can kick through that door and the place where that door will give out is the frame because the frame again is just, you know, it's just a a strip of cedar or or a pine wood. It's very weak. It it, it takes nothing to break down that door. So number one is you got to have a a good solid door and then you need to reinforce the frame of the door. So that's going to cost a bit of money, not as much as a big professional safe room, but listen, as things deteriorate, Richard, we will see a massive increase increase in home invasions. I've been studying what happened in Venezuela, what happened in Bosnia, what happened in Argentina. And we are going into the same thing because we have the same communist government and crime goes through the roof and people's homes get invaded all the time. And the police won't be there to protect you. So 
you know, spend the money. And that way, when you go to bed at night, you know you're safe. So get the, the solid door and the solid frame, and then you get a solid rock uh, lock. Right. Now, inside your bedroom, that's where you need to keep your phone, your cell phone. And if you have a ham radio, you need to keep it in there. And if you have any weapons now, Justin Castro just came out with a video the other day that says under no circumstances can Canadians protect themselves using a firearm. So six guys break into your house and they start to gang rape your children at gunpoint. And you happen to have a shotgun in the house. Better not get that shotgun because you will be prosecuted. Okay, we are the only country in the world where we're not allowed to defend ourselves. Thanks to Justin. Anyways, don't get me started on that subject. Right. Right. Whatever. In that case, you're going to risk the prosecution, I think. I think I would risk the uh, prosecution. So but whatever other weapon you can have now, a member of our team, like I said uh, the other day, one of the ladies went out. She bought like two dozen pepper sprays and half a dozen taser for other members that had ordered them. So get your pepper spray, get a taser, get your baseball bat. Now, hang on, though. Those aren't legal to own in Canada. Are they tasers? That's what I thought, but I don't know where she's getting them from. That might be black market. No, they're not. Nothing's legal in Canada. Nothing that could protect you or or, or make you self-sufficient. Pretty soon they're going to pass the law where you can't grow food in your garden just like they did in Australia, because we are under commun. OK, I'm, I'm getting off the topic Richard, right, right. because I get so angry. Well, I just don't, I don't want to I don't want to I, I don't want to, um, you know, sanction uh, people, you know, going out and getting illegal weapons. I right. think she I don't think she understands what she was getting, because I told us I told her the same thing. I said, where can you tasers are illegal in Canada? Where are you getting them from? She said, no, I'm getting them. I said, OK. Anyways, I don't know. Is is it a real taser what she's talking about? But anyways, tasers are illegal and so are stun guns. They're illegal as far as I understand. So I don't know if she got them or she's misunderstood. But anyways, uh, great, let's get a, get a baseball bat, a nice uh, aluminum baseball bat in your safe room. Let's let's go with that for now. A baseball bat is a really good thing. But again, the most important thing, solid door, solid door frame and a solid lock and then a baseball bat, your cell phone, your ham radio and um, maybe uh, um, some food and a first aid kit. Keep that in your bedroom. So that way, when they come to break into your house, not if they will come. okay? because the way things are going, everybody's going to get their home invaded pretty soon. All right. What about if you're on the sorry, uh, Stephen, what if you're on the ground floor and you've got like patio doors, like glass patio doors, sliding patio doors out under the, you know, how do you how would you secure a big double? Well, you can't. You can't. You can't. Glass doesn't protect you from anything. Okay, And so even. Yeah, we we know we all know the trick about putting a piece of uh, like a broomstick in the the slide track, you know, so that they can't open the the screen, a sliding door, but glass doesn't protect you. If you have like a glass window on the front door of your house, forget about it. It, does, it means nothing. Well, then maybe you should, you should think about maybe if your master's on the ground floor, maybe you should select a room on the second floor then. Or select, select a room that's not near the balcony or it doesn't have a sliding door. In it. Right. So like I said, it could be the bathroom. So if you have an ensuite, so that's obviously not going to be, uh, with a sliding door to the outside, then use the ensuite as the safe room, right? You can still get there really fast from the master bedroom. And again, you got the solid door there and you've got your baseball bat inside the ensuite. And uh, you're just going to have to sit there because the thing is, the p- purpose of a safe room is to buy you time. So kicking in your front door takes what? 
three seconds. Now they're in your house, okay? Six guys are in your house and they're rummaging through everything. Okay, let them take whatever is in the living room and in the den and in the kitchen. Let them take that. You can't do anything about it because we're not allowed to defend ourselves. But you want to keep your person safe and your family safe. So then you get the kids and the wife and everybody knows the routine. If you hear somebody breaking in, first thing you do is you run into the master bedroom and then you go into the ensuite bathroom and then everybody goes in the ensuite bathroom close lock the door get the baseball bat ready now that buys you before they could kick their way through a good solid door that'll take them 10 minutes all right so if they are hell-bent on hurting you okay it's going to take them 10 minutes to kick through the front door but but by that time you've already phoned the police (laughs) hopefully they'll show up in time but don't count on it and the way things are going don't count on it but at the very least, if they come through the door, you got a baseball bat, you're being the first guy who sticks his head through the door and you buy yourself time because we are in a battle for life and death right now, Richard. Way things are going, we are in a war zone. So unless you think tactically and unless you are willing to take a baseball bat and smash it in somebody's face, then you will become the victim. And don't take my word for it. I was, uh, you know, research Venezuela Venezuela prepper and listen to the firsthand experiences of people that lived in Venezuela and Argentina and what happened when the communists took control of the country. Right. Yeah. When things go south, people are civil for about 48 hours and then, uh, you know, you know, all hell can break loose. Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival, ChinaStrategies.com and the other website. And we will talk about this in the coming weeks and months, FormingCommunities.com, FormingCommunities.com. Stefan, thank you as always. Have a great rest of the week. You too, Richard. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. All right, don't go away. Hour 208's Kelly Brown from Rubicon Capital will be here. Ontario reporting the highest rate of post-vaccination myocarditis among males 18 to 24. That story is next. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Welcome to Hour 2, and if you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, but don't despair. There's still plenty of great program coming your way. Mark Bonacoski will be here, another member of the Canadian News Hall of Fame, and um, 
He's been published by a number of outlets, including the Toronto Sun, of course. Many of us know Mark Bonacoski's column in the Toronto Sun for many, many years. McLean's Magazine, Reader's Digest, also a columnist with True North. And uh, he'll be here. He says that we can thank, we as in Canada, we can thank President Joe Biden for our economic woes. He'll be here to explain. Uh, Last week, we met a retired RCMP officer, Andy Brook. He um, had some interesting things to say in the wake of the latest Trudeau slash RCMP scandal. This one involved the mass shooting in Nova Scotia back in April of 2020. They claimed, was it 21 lives, I believe? Innocent lives, plus an RCMP, including an RCMP officer. And uh, now it turns out, according to some handwritten notes from the RCMP superintendent out in Nova Scotia, Duncan Campbell, that they were pressured by RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky to release certain information about in, in involving that investigation, namely the types of weapons that were used in the mass shooting and how they were obtained. And the, um, the Nova Scotia RCMP said, we can't release that information, Commissioner. We're in the midst of an investigation. And the commissioner pushed back and said, I promised the public safety minister, who was, at the, who was Bill Blair at the time, and the prime minister's office, that would we, re, we would release the information regarding the types of weapons used because they would find it useful. They, the Liberal Party, the Liberal government, would find it useful. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. In their uh, attempt to pass uh, new gun legislation... That's called political interference in a criminal investigation. That's a big no-no. And the RCMP RCMP commissioner appeared quite uh, willing to do that. So Andy Brook will be here to talk more about that scandal. Also, how do we reform the RCMP if it has become so politicized? What do we do? We just break it all down and build it back up again? He'll be here to tell us. So the uh, Journal of American of the American Medical Association, JAMA, J-A-M-A, conducted a population-based cohort study of Ontario adolescents, 18 to 24, and some adults as well, looking at incidents of myocarditis or pericarditis following an mRNA COVID-19 vaccination. Let's see what they found. 
Kelly Brown, independent investor with Rubicon Capital. He's the accidental and unofficial COVID data analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at Rubicon Capital underscore. Kelly, welcome back. Hey, good to speak with you today. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm just curious as to, as to why um, the Journal of, Amer- of the American Medical Association would look to Ontario to to conduct uh, this population cohort study. I mean, I mean, I don't know how they would how they pick, you know, which populations they're going to study. But would uh, I don't know? Would they see like a red flag somewhere and they say, "Oh, we better look at this," or is it just random? Or do you have any idea? Well, you know, Richard, on that specific question, I would be speculating. I, I'm not sure whether this uh, study was, you know, initiated purely from the authors or whether JAMA was looking to commission something or saw something in the Ontario data and had somebody author something. I, I don't know the answer to that. But what is interesting about this is this article uh, uh, was, or this paper was done by the author, was authored by a number of people that work at Public Health Ontario uh, and, and also are seconded to uh, some programs at the university, professorships at the University of, uh, of Toronto. Um, and the other interesting piece here is that, that this is simply, uh, this paper is simply a regurgitation of some data that we have had uh, for eight months now, since going back to October of last year. Uh, we actually don't have a whole lot new here. I find it quite peculiar, actually. Uh, peculiar that this this was just published by, by JAMA? Uh, well, not necessarily that it was published by JAMA, that it was published at all. Frankly. Ah. Right. So, uh, it, as I said, we've got, we've got uh, a number of authors here that work at Public Health Ontario, that are simply regurgitating the results of some reporting uh, that was already done by uh, Public Health Ontario last October um, in the myocarditis study programs that that uh, the surveillance programs that were being conducted at the time. So this would include things that perhaps you and I have even talked about on this program. You know, it's 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 um, there. There is one new thing here, which I which I will get to, but. Uh, that wasn't part of the publicly disclosed data last year. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I kind of had a chuckle when I saw this come out because, you know, I had, I had spoken to, or I posted my comments to the Toronto Board of Health on September the 27th, 2021, using this exact data. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's peculiar to me why this is coming out now, um, the, and, and, and especially given the authors. Okay, so um, I mean, I'm going by a, a headline here that was attached to the article on social media by someone, and I, I don't. I, I'm hoping this isn't misleading, but you tell me whether it is or not. Ontario reporting the highest rate of post-vaccination myocarditis among males 18 to 24. Is that I mean highest compared to what or whom? I yeah, yeah, it's 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 not misleading. It's just a little bit incomplete. I'll 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 give you the complete what that actually means. So, okay. and this is part of what is what is new to us that we didn't have in the public data. So that that uh, one in twelve hundred number uh, is the eighteen to twenty four year old for eighteen to twenty four year old males who had BioNTech Pfizer vaccine first, and for the second dose had Moderna. And if they had that within 30 days, the second dose was less than 30 days after the first, that rate is about one in 1200. There were seven, 7,700 of those individuals 
uh, and six of them got myocarditis. Okay. So, so it's that combo of Pfizer first, Moderna second within 30 days. That's that high rate. Uh, the overall rate uh, for those is, 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 is for all vaccines in that age group is, is not quite that high, but still, still high. Okay. And yeah. do they compare that with, um, so for example, what would the rate of myocarditis in that same cohort be for, um, for, for people who are unvaccinated and, and, and had and, and contracted COVID. Did, is that in, included in the study? No, no. So, so first of all, that data is just very hard to come by. We were tracking this at the time. Uh, and, and no, this, this is not part of this. As I said, this is a very simple regurgitation of data that we had publicly a year ago. Now they have access to a little bit more nuance in the database. So they're able to pull out a couple of other data points, but it's the same. It's essentially the same data. Okay. So, yeah. So again, let's just reiterate basically yeah. what the conclusion is here then. Well, I mean, so to, to me, there's maybe a couple of things. So to me, um, they're just confirming kind of what we already know, that, that the, the, these rates for, for young males uh, are very high, you know, anywhere from 1 in 1,200 to 1 in 5,000, depending on the dose interval, depending on the product, uh, you know, we're just sort of reconfirming what we already know. Now, the second thing is the conclusion that this paper is coming to or, you know, one of the reasonings for putting this out. And, and, and you know, I'll just actually read you uh, one line here. Uh, the results suggest that there may be product specific differences in myocarditis or pericarditis after receiving mRNA vaccines and that programmatic strategies may be associated with reduced risk of myo or pericarditis after receiving mRNA vaccines. So I think what they're trying to do here is trying to say, well, you know, if we think about, if we think about a different age strategy, or if we think about a different dosing strategy, like putting the doses further out, that, a longer that we dose may be interval, right. in longer dose interval, we, we, we may reduce, um, we may reduce the risk here, but, you know, again, it's it's the timing here is really interesting to me because very few people are getting these shots anymore. And um, I, I just I, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, the timing here. Um, and uh, yeah, and just one last thing. So um, confirmation of these findings and further exploration of the association of heterologous mRNA vaccine schedules and interdose intervals with the risk of myo or pericarditis are needed. So they're opening the door to more study to this as well. Now, now they want to study it. Isn't yeah. That interesting? yeah. 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 It's interesting. Thought, maybe, maybe they should have thought about the studying it, you know, during the, what the, the third, the third phase of the trial. I don't know. Let me <laughs> Before, Yeah. Yeah. Two years ago. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Kelly, always appreciate your insights. Thank you for unpacking this for us. Yeah. My pleasure. Good to speak with you today. You too. Kelly Brown, Rubicon okay. Capital. And again, you can follow him on Twitter at Rubicon Capital underscore. All right. When we come back, retired RCMP officer Andy Brook with more on the politicization of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. If you watch uh, Fox News in the United States or some of the other cable stations that are more conservative-leaning, 
O-A-N-N. For example, Newsmax, they talk a lot about the politicization of the FBI. The FBI has been weaponized. The State Department has been weaponized. The Justice Department has been weaponized and politicized. The FBI is carrying out these raids against Joe Biden's political opponents. People talking about, let's blow up the FBI and start all over again. Well, what about here closer to home? What about our RCMP? We have a commissioner, Brenda Lucky, who allegedly, at the behest of the liberal government, interfered in an ongoing criminal investigation. This stems back to that horrible mass shooting, April 2020, in uh, Nova Scotia. Was it 21 people dead, including an RCMP officer? And Brenda Lucky, the commissioner, pressured the Nova Scotia RCMP, including the superintendent, Darren Campbell, to release information relating to the types of weapons that were used and how they were obtained by the psychopath involved. And um, Darren Campbell said, "Uh, Commissioner, we can't do that. This is an ongoing investigation. We can't release that kind of information. It would jeopardize the investigation. Oh, but I've promised Public Safety Minister Bill Blair in the Prime Minister's office that we would cooperate so they can use this information to further their agenda, which is a gun control bill. That's a no-no. That's a big no-no. And then, of course, we have the uh, the former public safety minister basically telling anyone who would listen that Nova Scotia Superintendent, RCMP Superintendent, Darren Campbell, oh, I guess he experienced it differently, that conversation, or something to that effect. Imagine what that must do to the morale of the rank and file in the RCMP. We'll get into all of that in the uh, coming moments. Andy Brook joins us once again. He is a retired RCMP officer. Andy, welcome back. How are you? Thank you very much, Richard, for the invitation. Uh, do you have any sense? I mean, I don't know to what extent you're still in communication with uh, your colleagues in, that are still active in the RCMP. But what? And in the wake of this, uh, I, another incidence of political interference, we could go back to, you know, the um, the incident with the Aga Khan, uh, the all expense paid vacation, and Brenda Lucky deciding it wasn't in the national interest to uh, prosecute the prime minister. What is the morale like in the RCMP right now? The membership, serving RCMP members, are not allowed to criticize the government. It's not until we're retired, like myself, that we're able to freely speak. Uh, Morale is not good, but there are many, countless members who still serve with integrity, who respect our Charter of Rights and Freedoms and their oath of office. And you asked me if I'm still in touch. Yes, I am. Uh, Actually, when I received uh, from your program today word that you'd like to bring me back, I made a phone call that I've been meaning to make for some time, and I did that this afternoon, as a result of which, um, and with your permission, I'd like to share what I found out in that phone call, which touches directly on the politicization of the RCMP. Okay. Can you tell us, uh, give us a bit of context? Uh, You don't have to name names, but who are you speaking to without naming names? No worries. Um, I have the permission to say what I'm about to say, but what I'm about to say is limited, and I'll let the know, uh, your audience know when I am limiting it. Okay. Um, it's a long-serving um, RCMP member who is now retired. So that um, retired member related to me that during 2019, during the federal election, 
he had received a phone call from an RCMP divisional HQ. And a division in the RCMP usually corresponds to a province, generally speaking. The retired member was informed by none less than a commissioned officer from that particular division HQ. And he was told, quote, your comments are embarrassing the prime minister, end quote. He was shocked by what he heard. I'm going to use the word he, so I don't go he, she all the time. Right. He was shocked by what he heard, to which he responded to this commissioned officer, I don't care. I have a right to make comments. And then that member proceeded to remind the commissioned officer that as a retired member, he or she was no longer subject to the provisions of the RCMP Act that prohibit serving members from commenting on uh, Government of Canada policies and that he was free to comment on matters related to the RCMP. The conversation at that point became awkward. The commissioned officer reluctantly acknowledged that the retired member had every right to make the comments that were being made. The comments that were being made were entirely appropriate. Um, They were critical of the government. But unfortunately, unlike Paul Harvey, who with his famous tagline, and now you know the rest of the story, I'm not able to go into what followed. There is an epilogue to this story. Uh, It was one that involved uh, continued harassment and without any exaggeration, um, what can only be described as an operation of intimidation to suppress this member from continuing to criticize the prime minister, especially during the election campaign. And I'm asking, what are the takeaways from what I just shared? A retired member... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Being told that his comments are embarrassing the Prime Minister. Well, I don't think it comes any surprise to any of us. The PMO is likely actively and closely monitoring certain social media accounts. But now we learn that the PMO, I'm going to, I've chosen my wording, with the cooperation of what is becoming apparent, a politically submissive RCMP, is prepared to direct and deploy RCMP resources. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. 
call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. In an attempt to perceive a perceived political opposition. And I use that word direct and deploy very deliberately. But that is the part that I have not been given permission to go into any greater detail on. Okay, Andy, and I'm going to take a time out. If I could get you to hold on, we'll, we'll uh, come back in a few moments and continue to delve into uh, this disturbing story and disturbing development, the politicization of the RCMP with Andy Brooke, retired RCMP officer, back with more of our conversation in about three minutes. Don't go away. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And we're back with retired RCMP officer Andy Brook talking about the politicization of the RCMP. And um, you were talking about a telephone conversation you had. Uh, we're talking with Andy Brook, retired RCMP officer, about the politicization of the RCMP. You were talking about a phone conversation you had before the show and um, where this retired officer was, had been somewhat outspoken, I guess, about the prime minister or the PMO and um, was told in no uncertain terms that he was embarrassing the prime minister by a um, another RCMP, an active RCMP uh, officer. And uh, you were suggesting that the RCMP is, is is monitoring social media sites. What were what was the other takeaway, uh, Andy, from this conversation? Yeah, the takeaway is no surprising that the PMO uh, is monitoring certain sites closely. That. Um, the PMO, with the cooperation of the RCMP, is prepared to uh, direct and deploy RCMP resources in order to silence political voices, opposition. But the third part, uh, just before break, was what's clear now is the PMO has now turned its sights onto what was once considered inconceivable. They're prepared to, and I use these words very deliberately, silence, harass, and intimidate even retired RCMP members who, as citizens, are now free to speak. And when I heard this, I, I realized this isn't just an isolated incident. You opened up in your introduction referring to the Nova Scotia Mass Casualty uh, Commission and, and the deadliest shooting spree in Canadian history and the attempt, if you will, to jeopardize that criminal investigation and the efforts, thank goodness, for Superintendent Campbell that withstood that. Um, there's also uh, what Canadians aren't aware of. There's uh, the investigation, excuse me, the non-investigation into the downing of flight PS752. Commissioner Brenda Lucky is currently under a code of conduct, an internal investigation, a formal one, for her, for allegations surrounding her decision not to open up a uh, criminal investigation, Canadian criminal investigation, into what was the deadliest terror, second deadliest terror attack in Canadian history. But thirdly, now you've got Another type of incident, you've got them targeting and pursuing, literally pursuing, if you knew the rest of the story here, retired RCMP members who are viewed as political opposition. So when I heard this, I was smacked, I was shocked, and I was talking further. I had an opportunity to speak to this retired member's spouse who corroborated the details I had heard earlier in the conversation. And I jokingly said, well, I guess your name and my name has probably surfaced on occasion inside the office of Commissioner Brenda Lucky. 
to which he became serious and he said, yes, they had. Uh, interesting. Very interesting. Are you concerned by that revelation? Um, when, when And when you say that you were told or... I'm not sure if you were told this directly, but to intimidate and silence retired RCMP, how would how can they silence a former RCMP well, or retired RCMP officer? I, I I've been given a very clear instructions on how far I can go with the story, and I've gone as far as I can go. The rest would certainly uh, potentially identify the retired member, and because of certain other aspects that were shared with me. Um, I was asked not to go any further. The rest of the story is actually worse. It's what happened afterwards. So when I use those terms, silence, harass, and intimidate, like I said, I'm using those very deliberately. They're not an exaggeration. How how new is this this, um, uh, treatment of retired RCMP officers? Did this occur before Commissioner Brenda Lucky? Is this something that's just gone on and and has been, you know, no one's spoken out about it? Not to my knowledge. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. So it's new. I believe so. Hmm. How do we fix it? Well, a new commissioner, I'm not so sure. You know, um, depending who she was replaced with. Um, unfortunately, um, it'll be interesting to see how this continues to unfold. Uh, I mean, this today... It came out. It shows, again, this is not isolated. Uh, there's a pattern, literally, that's emerging here. And, you know, we have, on, in one sense, um, sort of two sides of a ledger, if you will. Um, we have a weak and ineffectual RCMP commissioner combined with a manipulative and deceptive prime minister. Now, that sounds really harsh for me to say that. But let me tell you right now, there are those who know what I'm about to say and what that means. If I referred back to what happened on the 27th of August in Richmond Hill between the Prime Minister and Mirzad Zari, the words manipulative and deceptive are not an overstatement and they're not an exaggeration. So for anyone that may be aware of those events, um, we do have a manipulative and deceptive Prime Minister, certainly on occasions where he feels it's to his advantage. All right. Well, Andy, uh Thank you for sharing that with us, and please be safe and take all necessary precautions. I can't believe I'm having to say that to a retired RCMP officer who simply feels the need to speak out freely in this once free dominion. Um, I hope we'll speak again. I'm not personally worried, and I am not going to be going silent. Andy Brook, retired RCMP officer, thank you so much. You're very welcome, Richard. Thank you. All right. When we come back... Canada can thank 
President Joe Biden for our current economic woes. That, according to True North columnist Mark Bonacoski, he joins us next. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, before we uh, talk about President Biden as the second coming of President Jimmy Carter, let me ask you, are you sick and tired of the big banks? Tell me, when was the last time you really felt like they helped you with anything and didn't treat you like just another number? And if you ask yourself the question, why does it feel more woke in our bank branches than a university campus? How can they really offer you the best investment advice when they're driven by the latest progressive ideology? So if you're fed up and you want some real investment advice, minus all the corporate socialism and woke capitalism, give my friends at Rocklink a call. 905 905- 631-5462. Tell them your buddy Richard sent you or send them an email, info at rocklink.com. That's info at rocklink.com. Rocklink, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. So many of you are maybe, perhaps, too young to remember, are the 39th president of the United States, Jimmy Carter. You had the... Uh, you had the hostage crisis, which was just interminable. You had lineups at the gas station, an energy crisis. You had uh, record inflation. They had to create something called the misery index for President Carter's administration. That's how bad things were. Well, it seems like those times have been visited upon us once again. Mark Bonacoski, a member of the Canadian News Hall of Fame, has been published by a number of outlets, including the Toronto Sun, McLean's, Reader's Digest, also a contributor with True North. And uh, we're glad to have Mark back on the, pro- or on the program for the first time. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm good, Richard. How's other things going with you? Not too bad. Not too bad. So uh, just sort of generally speaking, would you say that uh, President Biden is as bad as Jimmy Carter or worse? Uh, it's hard to put a, a tag on that. I, I think that uh, a lot of people, were, are, Americans, are saying that Joe Biden's worse than Jimmy Carter because they're living in that present day. But I think that Jimmy Carter still holds the uh, still holds the trophy. All right. And so, in your piece, when you write about how Canadians really should be thanking Joe Biden for our current economic woes, inflation at a forty-year high. It would appear stagflation, perhaps, on the horizon. You're saying that most of that blame goes to Joe Biden and not our own prime minister. Is that right? Well, a great deal of it goes to uh, uh, Biden's shoulders, more than just uh, Justin Trudeau. Um, Biden, when Biden does things, uh, it affects other countries. Uh, he, he recently, uh, and, and he's sort of off his market a little bit, he's he said in, in China that he was, when he was in China, that he would defend Taiwan against against uh, communist China, and uh, the White House had to roll back that statement. It was a little bit too candid, and he uh, also said that uh, they would come to um, uh, Taiwan's defense. Sorry, if, if, if China got involved. And uh, that stirred things up. And uh, he's done that on a couple of occasions. But, you well, know, yes. it's what, what, what happens is when, when the United States creates a crisis that affects them and they are not having good times either, it's, it's, it's the poor nations that get it first. 
and uh, Canada, not quite there yet, but it's, uh, it's, it's turning into that direction. But right now, in the Horn of Africa, Somalia, uh, uh, Ethiopia, uh, are, have, are having uh, famine amongst them, and uh, pretty serious famine. Uh, and it's not even reported on nowadays yet, but, you know, you've seen 225 children dying of, of starvation in one day for one town. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty horrifying. But uh, that's part of the things that happen when a president does uh, something that turns the world upside down. He, well, he certainly is uh, prone to, you know, enormous gaffes and, and missteps and, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, but let's talk about, you know, Canada's current economic woes. And certainly uh, chief among them would be, you know, affordability issues and inflation. Um, you know, we have our own government here spending hundreds of billions of dollars. We're, we're over a trillion dollars in debt. There's no sign of that, you know. Uh, shrinking anytime soon. How uh, how is it that uh, the Trudeau is less to blame for the? I know, I know that you know Biden obviously is in charge or the, the titular head of the, the world's largest economy. But uh, what specifically has Joe Biden done that is responsible for Canada's inflation? Would you say? Oh, well, uh, it, there's been a huge stagnation in crops, uh, agriculture, Canada said recently that uh, there's going to be a crop shortage by the end of the year. We've never had that in a long time. Uh, that's where it begins. When food uh, is, is, is a short supply, that's, that's pretty disastrous. Now, I must admit, Trudeau is spinning like a, like a uh, excuse my, my language, but a drunken sailor and I apologize to all drunken sailors, <laughs> but he's, that's what he's doing. And and uh, when you have as much debt as we have, uh, and uh, and it's going to take generations to uh, to dig ourselves out of it, that's a lot of time for for people, taxpayers, to be upset, angry, uh, wanting to throw in the towel. I mean, I got a daughter and two granddaughters, uh, and I hate to think what they're going to have to do uh, to uh, get by. Uh, it's past my prime. I am not going to go to. It doesn't matter to me, but it matters to a great uh, future generations. And and if, you, if you're going to quiet them by uh, trouncing them, then uh, that's the wrong way to do it. All right, uh, Mark, just hold on if you could. We'll take a quick time out, come back, and uh, continue to discuss the uh, disastrous presidency of Joe Biden and its effect on our own economy right here in Canada. Mark Bonacoski stays with us, member of the Canadian News Hall of Fame and now True North contributor. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. A few minutes remain with Mark Bonacoski, member of the Canadian National News Hall of Fame. And you'll remember him from the uh, Toronto Sun, of course, and uh, occasional columnist with uh, True North. Please support independent media, tnc.news. And talking about a recent piece he wrote 
titled Canada Can Thank Joe Biden for Its Economic Woes. Um, Mark, a lot of uh, pundits and pro- pro- uh, prognosticators are, are predicting a disastrous midterm election in November for the Dems. Could, could a red tsunami, a massive GOP majority in the House, uh, a Republican majority in the Senate, uh, would that be enough basically to stop the disastrous Joe, disastrous Joe Biden uh, agenda in its tracks and perhaps even reverse course? Well, uh, you know, I, it's one of those things where you, 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 you hate to wish things to happen. Um, I mean, I, I uh, was a little uh, upset with, with Donald Trump, uh, especially near the end of his reign. Uh, and I and I don't know if he's the, the, the guy we need back as president, but uh, you know you have to take Joe Biden and, and with a taste of uh, a bit of sugar because uh, he's not as as bad. I don't think as 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 Trump could be, and Trump just goes and flies off the handle and passes puts, puts bills down and passes it with a stroke of a pen. And uh, leaves, leaves a lot of things in peril. Right now, the last thing any country needs is to be in peril. Uh, it needs to be quiet, solidified, it solidifies its, its economics, solidify its crops, uh, solidify its, its uh, political agendas, and uh, ride it out because uh, this is not going to be uh, over soon. So... If Canada, for example, were to, I don't know, if the Trudeau government suddenly had a uh, their come to Jesus moment or whatever and decided to get physically fiscally responsible and, and have, you know, stop just printing money and and uh, decided to, you know, become the energy superpower that we that we could be and start exporting natural gas, for example, because Germany has come calling. They want our natural gas do you think that would be enough to shield us from the worst effects of the Biden administration's economic uh, policies? I think so. But, you know, here's Joe Biden. He's refused again the uh, Keystone Pipeline. Instead, he's going to try to buy oil and gas from Venezuela, which he's been deriding and uh, throwing sanctions at it since uh, Christ was a cowboy, and, uh, and 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 that's a long time. So uh, it's, it's difficult to say uh, if they would, but if, if that pipeline was built, the pipelines are built to the east for natural gas to be exported uh, more, more easily, uh, and uh, for imports to be lessened because we got oil of our own going both ways. Then it'd be a hell of a step forward. But right now, uh, Biden is, for some reason, rather rather buy his, his gas and oil from Venezuela than from his neighbor. All right. Well, I guess it's time to bring back the misery index like we had under Jimmy Carter. Mark, it was great to, to, to speak with you and uh, uh, c- congratulations. How long have you been with uh, True North contributing? Just uh, just sort of joined them uh, within the last couple of weeks. Oh, fantastic! Oh, I'm running, running there now. Um, 
excuse my voice, by the way, it's trying to escape my body. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Well, it's uh, it's great to speak with a, a Canadian News Hall of Famer. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thanks, Richard. All right, Mark Bonikowski. Uh All right, just, uh, hey, Jacob, and um, I don't know, are, Declan, are you a baseball fan? Yes, come see, come saw. Jacob, are you, is Jacob there? Jacob? Can you come on in? I want to ask Jacob. We're in trouble, the Blue Jays. I mean, on paper, at the beginning of the year, we had this conversation, right? We talked about how great they looked on paper in terms of their their starting five. And here we are. We're down to really, what, two two reliable starters? Two and a half, maybe, with Stripling? You've got Manoa, who continues to be an absolute phenom. You've got Stripling, who is expected to be kind of a stopgap, kind of a swing man between the, you know, the sixth starter during that intense early part of the schedule when they played like, what, 30 games in 31 days or something. Now he's become kind of a, a reliable starter. And then you've got Gossman, who I haven't quite figured out yet. What are your thoughts on the, uh, the Jays pitching situation? Yeah, well, I, I think the main thing is I don't think it can get worse than it is right now because I think Gosman and Manoa are, are legitimate. The way that they've been pitching lately, I think that's what we can expect for them, even though it's a lot to ask for. I think that's what we can expect for them for the rest of the season. And when it comes to guys like Kikuchi and Barrios, th- those are the two right now that are really struggling for the Jays. A guy like Jose Barrios has been in the league now for long enough where I don't think he's that that dominant number one ace that a lot of people were hoping he'd be. But I think he's a very good three on a team. Now, that's not what he's doing right now, but his track record shows he's been in the league long enough where I think eventually he will figure it out and he will get back to his his usual form, which is, you know, a, a high threes, low fours ERA. The interesting one to me is Yusei Kikuchi because, and again, I'm a Yusei Kikuchi defender, and I've admitted this a lot. I was very happy when they brought him in. The thing with him is the talent is still obviously there. The strikeout numbers are off the charts for him. The velocity is there. It's it's the walks. If he can fix the walks, I think he's going to be a very effective pitcher for them, but it's a big if. Well, whatever they did for uh, Rob Ray, because he was saddled with the same problem, right? They turned him around. Was that Pete Walker that did that? Yeah, it was. And I mean, you know, you can't give Walker all the credit. A lot of credit is to be given to the pitcher himself. But it's the you're right. It's a similar situation. I think that's why I have still have some some kind of nothing. I'm still a bit encouraged that they might be able to find a way to turn Kikuchi's season around. He's also been a J for only, what, 12 games. He's still young in his career. And, and some fans might not be happy with the fact that he's stuck here for another two years after this. But to me, it's just more time where him and Pete Walker will be able to work together to try and work through whatever problems he's having. And very quickly, can Stripling be counted on to be, say, a reliable number five guy? I think he can. I just don't think, I mean, he's not as good as he's been pitching lately. He's been pitching really, really phenomenally. I don't think that's what we can expect for him going forward. I think there absolutely will be some, some aggression to the mean for him. I think they will be better off suited looking for a, a, a fifth starter elsewhere. All righty. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Richard. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, Declan. I'll be back. Good job on the board today, buddy. 
I'll be back tomorrow at 4 p.m. to do it all over again. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.